Welcome to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky podcast from the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Curtis Birch, host and producer on News Radio 630, WLAP, the home of the Cats. And I'm Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, and together Curtis and I are here every day, Monday through Friday, talking the Cats. If it's a big deal to the Big Blue Nation, you can hear it right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. This edition of the show is brought to you by Skyline Chili. We'll tell you a little bit more about them in just a bit. EJ Montgomery... Do you know that there's a song called Midnight in Montgomery, Kyle? Have you ever heard that tune? I do. I'm a recovering country music fan. Well, when we have Billy Ray Cyrus on this podcast, we'll get it all the way turned back. Um, But we did not have to wait until midnight for Montgomery. I was going to use that phrase if he waited till late. But we are currently recording. It's about a little bit before 10 p.m., uh, you had an over-under earlier. You thought it was going to be really late. Of course, E.J. Montgomery's coming back, and he had he had the, the brilliance idea to make the announcement right before I went live on radio at 6 p.m. So I'm, listen, buy me an E.J. Montgomery jersey. Well, let, let's buy a, a well, Woj bomb jersey because I think Woj sort of forced his hand by breaking the news according to his sources that EJ was coming back. And it's funny because that was like with, I think within like 30 minutes of my tweet in the late afternoon over under on, uh, EJ Montgomery's announcement nine, I said it at 9 PM and it was overwhelmingly, uh, people were taking the over and then it comes out at like whatever time it was almost six, a little before 6 PM, I guess. Yep. Um, let's see. I'm trying to see what the, what the tally ended up being on uh I think a lot of Johnny Come Latelys voted just so they could seem that they were gonna be right after after he announced they could be smart. <laughs> oh, they definitely they definitely did because it was like eighty percent on the over for nine PM and the final or the current tally with twelve hundred votes is fifty four percent on the over. So I think a bunch of people definitely jumped in there and voted after. Well, if you could do that, you get to vote for the winner. Uh, let's let's jump in. One, are you surprised that he came back? A little bit, yeah. I mean, like, if you asked me that when the season ended, probably no. But just the way this was trending, the fact that he did take it all the way to the deadline, that he did go out and do a bunch of workouts, was doing a workout yesterday or today, I think, as far as we know, Um you know, that and just kind of the buzz was he was really leaning towards leaving. Now, it would have been leaving with no certainty that he was going to get drafted at all, probably, or else he was out there hoping that in these workouts he would get promised by somebody that he would get drafted. Um, but as you've pointed out many times, in the initial announcement that he was going to test the waters, he basically said, if I'm a first rounder, I'm going to, I'm going to go. If I'm not, I'm probably going to come back. So, um, I, it sounds like he just went through the whole process, took it all the way to its total end. Um, you know, got every shred of information he could get, and made a. I would say almost anybody would agree a wise decision, and it would have been his decision. and And I wouldn't have ripped it if he decided to go. I think we would have thoughtfully critiqued it <laughs> because he certainly stands to make a bunch of money and to make huge strides as a player. As uh, you know, John Calipari said at the SEC meetings today before before the decision was known 
you know, he said, I, I said to EJ Montgomery, are you ready to play 30 minutes a game? I mean, and that's what he's going to get. I mean, he's going to be a focal point for them. So, the, you know, logically, it made sense for him to come back. Um, but, yeah, I, I ended up being surprised because it felt started to feel in these last couple of weeks like he was genuinely going to go. Yeah, and uh, I often we often talk about when recruitments kind of go silent or there's not a lot of information out there. Something gets said, and then it becomes an echo chamber. And um, we've talked a lot about Tony Delk's comments, and Tony Delk was on the Leach Report this morning, and I didn't hear it myself, but someone was tweeting me about it. And he said the comments that he made were maybe slightly out of context and didn't give his full thoughts on Montgomery and what he had kind of his thoughts about the pros. So... Uh, that us getting those comments probably kind of shaped some things more than more than you know we anticipated but to your point Kyle there were other factors as well him taking so long normally when people kind of take that this long they're you know looking for a reason to stay in which I completely understand you know um, and you're looking for someone to say all right we'll give you that two-way contract or whatever and the longer it takes the more uh, possible that that option, um, becomes, but it never, I guess, came all the way for EJ. And, you know, Kyle, I, you looked at me, I remember this, it's burned into my skull because I thought I, I'd never been looked at like such a crazy person. Uh, we were recording a podcast in your basement, I guess it's been a couple weeks ago, and I thought, I said, I thought that both Nick and EJ would come back, and you looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But well, that's uh, how you always look at me. But yeah, I am a little surprised they both came back. I mean, I thought just the way it's gone lately, you know, somebody would make a bad what what on the surface people would think is a bad decision when it comes to the NBA. And that's what I mean, that's what stands out to me about this. They didn't I mean, they didn't lose anybody, anybody this year. And that's been a while that shouldn't have gone. Yep. I mean, they lost. Nate Sistina, I mean, not Nate Sistina, they lost Reed Travis, whose eligibility was expired, and they lost three guys that are probably going to be top 20 picks and definitely going to be first-round picks. And that's it. I mean, they had one guy transfer who played minuscule minutes for them, Jamal Baker, and wants a bigger role, but they didn't have anybody. And, and you know, Ashton Hagens uh, could have gone. And honestly, he probably had the only real draft prospects of of the group of the guys. But he very early on said he was coming back. Uh, EJ could have gone, just started his pro career. Nick could have gone and just started his pro career. Um, they had no bad decisions this this cycle. And so, to me, it's been a very very good spring for Kentucky basketball. Uh, I don't think not getting Jaden McDaniel's was a big deal uh, because they're so uh, stocked at wing. I thought it was a huge deal that they add a shooter and a scorer, and they got one in Johnny Juzang. They were in potentially perilous situation in the front court if either one of those guys left and neither of them left. So now they have a, a you know a, a little bit thin but a full front court. They have EJ and Nick and Nate Sestina. That's three competent you know options, all with starting experience in college, all who've played significant minutes in college. Um, that's a big spring. And then when you factor in the, the, the other, I think, really unexpected thing that happened tonight as we record on deadline night, Kerry Blackshear Jr. from Virginia Tech pulled out of the draft. And, the, and for o- over a month now, 
the conventional wisdom was, was that he was going to stay in, even though he wasn't projected to be drafted either, that he just, after four years in college, he felt like he had done what he could do and he was going to start his pro career. He didn't. He's pulled out, and he has – and he is going to transfer, do a grad transfer. So they, they're not only did Kentucky get Nick and EJ back, did they add a shooter in Johnny Juzang this spring? They now have another viable plug-and-play option that they can go chase. And and I would say if they add him, I don't think that's a sure thing at all. I think Texas A&M and Florida will both be major factors. A&M has his old coach Buzz Williams. Florida has apparently been heavily involved. And he's a piece they're really kind of missing. Um, but Kentucky will probably be in that mix. And I, if they add him on top of that, to me, Kentucky is one of the handful of national title contenders and maybe preseason number one. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking at, though, the way the, the roster is currently constructed, and it is it is the balance that I feel like a lot of people have kind of been – clamoring for even more than in years past because you have grad transfer Nate Sistina you have a junior in Nick Richards you have three sophomores who saw action last year with Montgomery Hagens and quickly and then you have the the freshmen that you're going to be depending on so you have unbelievable balance and uh a lot of guys that also the there's balance in the types of players these guys are as well. I I mean this you said it Kyle this this spring has been pretty unbelievable. Uh like all the boxes have been checked it checked. I, I obviously you would have loved to keep Jamal Baker or because he showed shooting potential you would have loved to sign a five-star prospect with uh, Jaden McDaniels but um honestly like in the realistic world I don't think there's any way you couldn't be thrilled. You shouldn't be thrilled as a Kentucky fan for um, what you ended up uh, getting um, on the roster as we know it at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, a few few stats that I looked up. One, they're going to have five guys next season on the roster who've started college games and played NCAA tournament games. Nick Richards has 40 college starts. Ashton Hagens has 30. Nate Sestina has 32. EJ Montgomery has 10. Manuel quickly has seven. Five guys who've started games. They've all played in the NCAA tournament. Um, uh, you know, one one thing that I um, have noted in the past, it's been now four times in 10 years that Cal Perry has returned at least 30% of his points and rebounds. And in those four seasons, they've gone to the Elite Eight, which was this last year, the Final Four in 2015, the title game in 2014, and won the championship in 2012. Um, now this team doesn't quite get to 30% points. They have, but it, it essentially meets that criteria, especially if you add sort of Nate Sestina as an experienced guy who you know is going to produce something for you at the college level. But they return 27% of their points, 30% of their rebounds, 45% of their assists, 51% of their blocks, and 44% of their steals. So. That's quite a bit back, plus Nate Sestina gives you a veteran, plus you have the number two recruiting class in the country, which really, you you could argue Kentucky is the number one class because Memphis passed them essentially on volume alone because they ended up signing, what, seven guys? Yeah. Um, Kentucky has four uh, top 30 players, um, three five-stars. I don't think anybody has more five-star recruits than Kentucky. Um, 
So, you know, it they ended up with a roster that's going to have eight guys on it who were top 35 high school recruits, and those were spread across freshman, sophomore, and junior classes. Yeah. So, dude. like you said, it's just it's it's balance and experience. It's a balance in, uh, you know, what you have. Uh, you have guards. You have wings. You have, you know, big men now. Uh, I think they could still stand to add a big guy, whether it's Blackshear or even if it's just a random Joe who's got a – you know, physically mature body and come in there and give you five thousand. Wait a minute. Bang around and you know are rebound you, a little bit. Are you reporting that Joe Masato is on his way back to Lexington? I think Joe is a little too short for what they need. Yeah, but, but can, I would, but can you but measure the heart? Can you measure heart? Nobody can measure the heart of Joe Joe Masato. I almost oh. called him Joe, Joe. I almost called him Joe Sestina. <laughs> <laughs> Um, coming up next, we are going to talk about what we kind of expect from EJ Montgomery uh, next season. But before that, we do want to tell you guys about La Rosa's, which is now open on Richmond Road in Lexington. La Rosa's is a Cincinnati thing like Skyline Chili. And speaking of Skyline, it is right next to the Skyline Chili on a Richmond Road. They've got, everybody knows about their pizzas, but they've also got pastas and delicious salads. If you want to check out their menu, check out LaRosas.com, or you can give them a call, 888-LA-ROSAS. Their entire menu is available for delivery, pickup, or dine-in, and their dine-in space is awesome, super kid-friendly, and just a great place to have a pizza. Uh, so if you haven't yet in Lexington, check out La Rosa's. You are Locked On Kentucky, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. How much do you expect from EJ Montgomery next season? Because you just said Calipari thinks he's going to play 30 minutes. How much production are you going to get out of him? Well, uh, you know, let's let's take a look at, um, you know, if we want to go by best game, you know, EJ had a, a 11 points, 13 rebounds, made a three-pointer in the, the in 20 minutes against South Carolina to me obviously that was his best game of the season uh if you want to go per 40 minute averages um I had those pulled up here the nice thing about basketball reference or sports reference is they have all these different uh things and one of them is like a whole stat spreadsheet broken down on per 40 minute averages for everybody um so here it is EJ Montgomery last season per 40 minutes averaged 10 points, 10.8 rebounds, and 2.7 blocks. Wow. Pretty, you know, a, he averaged a double double per 40 minutes and almost three blocks. Uh, to that point, Nick Richards per 40 minutes. Now, the issue with Nick Richards is can he not foul and stay on the floor? Because he is never going to play 40 minutes. But. His per 40 averages were 13.2 points, 11 rebounds, and 4.2 blocks uh, per 40 minutes. So the other thing to look at there is Nick and EJ together averaged 6.9 blocks per 40 minutes. Wow. That's that's a big thing, specifically the way Calipari likes to play defense in most instances where he really does like a rim protector. I mean, how many times last season was he talking about Nick Richards and wanting him to come along because he gives them the rim protection that both Washington and Travis couldn't uh, consistently provide, basically because they're slightly undersized um, as bigs. And, you know, anybody compared to Nick Richards is kind of undersized, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's that would be – do you think he can, like, live up? Do you think he is a double-double guy next year? 
Well, I mean, I don't know if he's a like. I think he'll get some double doubles. Um, I mean, as Kentucky, been a long time since Kentucky's had an, a guy who actually averages a double double. It's pretty tough to do. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a, a a very good player. I don't know if he can make the kind of jump that P, that PJ Washington made. I think that's the goal. I think that's what we sell to him. Uh, that's going to be a lot of it up to him. Can he get more physically mature? Can he get a little bit of a nasty streak? I don't think he has the same disposition as P.J. Washington. I don't think he's necessarily a killer like that. But I do think he is a skilled, a super skilled big guy who I think we'll see shoot it more and better. I hope they'll let him shoot it. Um, I know he didn't always do that well, but it's a thing that he can do. It's a thing he did in high school. Uh, it's one of his strengths. I think he's going to have to, you know, he didn't get a lot of time to play through mistakes last year to get in a rhythm. I think he's going to get that now. So, yeah, I think he is going to play well. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they use, if they don't add anybody else, how do they use the three big guys they have? I, my my suspicion is you start Nick at the five and EJ at the four, mm-hmm. and Nate Sestina is your sort of Swiss Army uh, backup. I think probably most often – Nate comes in, if he comes in at the four, he's playing with Nick at the five or EJ at the five. And he's then you use Nate truly as a stretch four. I'm not totally against the idea of him as a small ball five in, small, in, in little doses and depending on the matchup, depending on how the other team is trying to attack your, your defense. But um, that would be my guess right now. So I think, I think those guys are going to get a great shot to prove what they can do and play through some mistakes. Uh, at least one of them at all times. I mean, that's the thing. Unless they add somebody, one of Nick and EJ are always going to have the opportunity to play through mistakes because one of them is always going to be on the floor. Yeah, and I think that that will... I think the types of players that are in the front court, you've been clamoring it, clamming, clamoring for it uh, for a while. Uh, the fact that you know a little bit more modern offense from Kentucky and John Calipari having some more spacing, and now they have two bigs that can both shoot. So you're in a situation uh, where you will want to put those guys <laughs> in those scenarios. Uh, Sestina and Montgomery. I mean, if if you have uh, Sestina and Montgomery in as the front court players, a little five out, Kyle. Let uh let let Ashton Haggins go make some plays at the rim and try to find some guys on the perimeter. That I think that could work pretty well. Yeah, and you know, to to that end, uh, well, maybe not specifically to that end, but you know, I think one thing that would be an interesting exercise now that we maybe know uh, what the roster looks like. Let's just let's just say they don't get Blackshear, and this is the roster they have. Let's make our predictions on starting five. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we agree on two guards and the two bigs, Montgomery and Richards and Maxi and Higgins, right? So it boils down yep. to the three. Yep. And I think that this is super interesting um, because uh, like I could make a case for quickly as a three guard lineup, yep. Juzang shooting being important on the floor Keon Brooks is just seems to be the tip, the prototypical glue dude who could do a lot of different things and cover up a lot of other guys' mistakes. And then, you know, from a ranking perspective, it seems like Khalil Whitney has the most talent. Um, I'll just go with Whitney in that three spot because that's what I, I feel like Calipari will lean on and just lean into the talent. 
Well, here's here's my issue with that. Hagen's is such a non-shooter that I don't know that you can play a lot with two non-shooters on the floor. Um, and I just don't think Whitney shoots it well enough. Um, you know, and if we're talking about playing modern, that's not a very modern setup. Um, and I also think you could see Whitney play the four some. He and Brooks could get minutes at the four. Yeah, yeah. I think, to me, it feels more like, to me, it feels more like Whitney is built for it. Maybe I'm wrong. But I just think they're going to need the shooting and the scoring. And I, you know, you've, you've chastised me for this before, but I'm sticking with it. I, I really am on the Johnny Juzang train. I think it's more likely, and especially early on, to be maybe early on it's quickly and later it's Juzang, but I think you have to have a shooter there. I think you have to have a guy who can make maybe not even just pure shooter, but just a guy who can score. Um, you, you've got to be able to space the floor. I, I just when if if Hagens is on the point, I don't know how much you can play him and and Whitney t- together with two guys, basically three. If you had Richards starting. You've got three of your five players aren't shooting threats. And EJ Montgomery's still got to prove that he's a shooting threat, even though I believe he is. So I'm going to say Juzang. Chuka, 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 Who's that coming down the track? Is that the Johnny Juzang train? Who's the conductor? Oh, that's Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker, the conductor of the Johnny Juzang train. Whoop. Whoop. Might be the most uncomfortable thirty seconds in the history of our podcast, but yeah, I'll I'll own it. I'm driving the Juzang hype train. Um, I, my, my caveat to that is, I think the the bulk of the season it'll be Juzang. It wouldn't surprise me if it's uh, quickly early in the year, just because you want to lean on a veteran uh, guy in those early games, kind of like last year um, when uh, you know. Quade Green looked like he was going to have a much bigger role in the early part of the season, and that quickly dwindled as other guys, young guys, got more comfortable. Coming up next, uh, we'll quickly touch on some of the other things uh, from the draft that that kind of caught our attention tonight, because uh, there were s- some semi-surprises, I feel like, and not really about necessarily just the decisions that were made uh, staying or going. But before that, I do want to tell you guys about the new Himalaya app. You can get Locked on Kentucky on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on Kentucky. Also, today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere, even if you take Kyle Tucker's train. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. Uh, Kyle, I'll just ask you like a blanket statement. Um, any surprises um, from the decisions that we are now aware of that have no impact on Kentucky across college basketball? Uh, well, the Quentin Grimes decision, he pulled out of the draft, but then shortly thereafter, we learned that he's transferring out of Kansas. Um, Dotson's coming back to Kansas, but uh, they didn't sign, I think, any top 50 recruits. Yep. Uh, uh, they did get Silvio D'Souza reinstated, 
I think they get back uh, as, a as a bookie from injury, but it'll be interesting. They're going to be thin. I, I, you know, I, I don't know about Kansas next year. Um, I think there might uh, be involved with, and I can't remember his name, the former Michigan commit um, who decommitted and got released. Oh, right. yeah. I don't know. I, I think he's like right around 50-ish. I don't know exactly where he's ranked, but he's probably a guy that could get some minutes for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other one that was just announced a couple minutes ago as we were recording, that will have impact on Kentucky. Uh, Jordan Nora, or Jordan Wara, I forgot the N is silent. Uh, we didn't learn that until the middle of his sophomore season. At least I didn't. He's withdrawn his name from the NBA draft and will return to Louisville. So, Kyle, that's kind of a big news in the state. He'll be a huge asset for the Cardinals and Chris Mack. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky and Louisville both uh, win big, you know. <laughs> yeah, Louisville, uh, Louisville got Enoch and Waraback lost V.J. King. Yeah, I don't think V.J. King is a significant loss. I mean, talk about a disappointing uh, – was he McDonald's All-American? I know he's a five-star. I think he I think he made the McDonald's game. I'm pretty sure he did. He was – yeah, he was a big-time recruit. <laughs> I remember that whole whole thing. He was, he, was, he was a very important recruit for Louisville. Yeah, and just it never, never put it together. Um, and that happens, but uh, – I think Louisville will be very good next season. I'm not sure where this kind of puts them in the pecking order, um, but those were a couple big decisions. I mean, Enoch is like a Mack truck. I remember seeing him, you know, at floor level in the Yum Center when they played Kentucky last season. And uh, I mean, if they, if Kentucky doesn't have Reed Travis to bang into that guy, um, he might have had a field day against Kentucky. He's a uh, He's a large human. I can't believe you're tweeting while we're recording, Kyle. That's very disheartening. Well, it was the big news. It was the it was the the Noara, the war the Wara news. Should, I multitask. Shouldn't that be your buddy Jeff Greer's? Like he's got that covered. He won't get upset about you infiltrating his beat. This is how I pass the time while I wait for you to stop talking. I just tweet. You want me to make train noises again? <laughs> that was that really you, truly was disturbing. Did you have one of those um wooden train whistles when you grew up? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh no. What? You know the 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 whistles that were made of wood and then you would blow into them and they would make tra- train sound. Mm, no, I know what they are. I just didn't have one. Uh, you lived a sheltered and unimaginative life. You know, I went to Kentucky to become an engineer. And then they told me I couldn't drive the train, so I changed majors. <laughs> well, if anybody's still uh, listening, uh, uh, Curtis, <laughs> you are really you're really testing my uh, my limits here. Well, by then, the way, this is completely as I was scrolling Twitter while we we're recording this podcast. Just a quick thought of uh, positive thoughts and prayer for apparently. There was a horrifying uh, scene in Major League Baseball this evening. Uh, Albert Albert Amora, Jr. of the Cubs, hit a hard line drive in the stands and hit a young child. And the video of him, uh, Almora, after he did it is just awful. He's very, very shaken up. So, anyway, 
really hope that the child is okay and certainly thoughts with Albert Amora. That is a scary scene in sports and foul balls and little kids at baseball games is like one of the really, really uh, strange fears that I have. Like every time I go to a baseball game, I think about it. Definitely. I agree with you on all those fronts. Um, be sure to be following along with the show on social media. We got the Locked On Kentucky Facebook page and Facebook group. Just search Locked On Kentucky. Find us on Facebook. Join the conversation. You can also find us on Twitter at Locked On UK. I'm on Twitter at Curtis Birch, B-U-R-C-H. Listen to me weeknight 6 to 8 p.m. on 630 WLAP with the Big Blue Insider. This, as we're recording this, we had an interview with Mitch Barnhart today. If you'd like to check out that podcast, uh, if you missed it live, just search Big Blue Insider on your favorite podcasting app. Hopefully that's Himalaya. Uh, Kyle, let everybody know where they can follow you and find your work. At Kyle Tucker underscore ATH and at the, uh, at, on the website, theathletic.com and on the Athletic app, we'll have a piece about the sort of totality of Kentucky's roster up on Thursday morning for people to check out. Coolio. Uh, also, we announced that we were going to be having a live show Wednesday, uh, next Wednesday, June the 5th. It will be at noon, June the 5th, at noon at Grassroots Pharmacy. We'll have all the info on our social media, so be on the lookout for that and mark your calendars. We'd love to see you there and help support our sponsor, one of our sponsors, Grassroots Pharmacy. Speaking of sponsors, shout out again to La Rosa for sponsoring this edition of the show. Please rate, please review, please subscribe, uh, and most importantly, share it with somebody else who would enjoy. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you soon. You are locked on Kentucky. Your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pretty good. It's a fairly solid uh, 48 hours for Kentucky. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, let's see if I can find them. I believe you can, Kyle. I believe in your ability <laughs> to find these documents. Hang on. Uh, choo! And choo! Choo! I-